You're listening to the Writers Forum, underwritten by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Libby Hart about her new novel, Planes, Trains, and All the Fields. Libby's a dyslexia specialist and an avid group chatter. Planes and Trains is her second novel. Her first novel was Talk Flirty to Me. Welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you for having me. Well, let me, let me start before we turn to the book itself. You're a dyslexia specialist. Tell me about that. Are you working in the school system? Yes. So in the state of Texas, we're fortunate enough to have dyslexia specialists staffed within the school district. So I get to work with small groups of diagnosed students and do some testing to try to find those students who need that additional help. Wow. How long have you been doing that? About eight years. Okay. And are there, hmm, I think there is one by the guy that played uh, Henry, what's his name? Henry, uh, Henry Winkler. Winkler. Yes. yes. There's a series yes. of books specifically designed for folks that are dyslexic, right? Yes. The Hank Zipser series. My kids love them because they finally get to see themselves represented in literature. And it's a fun series. Too. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Well, all right. Well, let's talk about your new novel, Planes, Trains, and All the Fields. Is this properly considered a romance novel or a rom-com novel? What, what's your view on that? Um, I consider it a rom-com. Uh, I do lean into sort of the, the comedy and the sort of absurdist elements that made the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, um, you know, what it was. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah, so I would say it's definitely a rom-com. And, I, and so I've always been told that there's a formula for writing such novels, for romance novels in particular. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Your loyal romance readers can always tell if you've uh, varied too far from the formula. Well, so yes, we try to adhere to that. Yeah, I want to ask you a little bit about that, and and in specific in reference to the to planes and trains. What are the generally what are the accepted elements uh, for the formula? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you always want to have some sort of adhesion that brings these characters together, because if at any point they could walk away the assumption is that they would. So you want to have an adhesion that sort of forces them to spend time together. Uh, and then you want to make sure that as you're going towards the ending, you're keeping them sort of in a push and pull uh, until they have one final obstacle to overcome. And then, of course, the trademark of the genre is the happily ever after. <laughs> well, and, and certainly in, the, in this book, Planes and Trains, you, you follow that pretty good with Cassidy and Luke, who we'll, we'll talk about uh, in a second. But do the, you find these elements restricting or are they helpful as a writer? I think, uh, I think they're very helpful. And there's always that fine line between wanting to subvert a genre and wanting to honor it. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's our instinct to you know, want that roadmap when we're first starting to write. We want to make sure we're, we're adhering to something. And then, you know, the more books you write, the more you want to play with form a little bit. So um, I do love having that as a template. I think it's, it's really, it makes it so that you don't go too far off track. Okay. And how did you learn in the form? Was this something you took classes on, or is it just from having read other romance novels? I'm really fortunate that I kind of got in with a really great romance community. Romance uh-huh. writers are just as avid as romance readers, and they're so welcoming. And so I started to kind of pick their brains and get um, recommendations for different books uh, that sort of outline those, you know, expected elements. Like one is Save the Cat for any anybody who's looking to write a romance book, Save the Cat and Romancing the Beat um, have really great templates for you to follow. Okay. Well, in this book, in, in Planes and Trains, there are, I'm, I'm going to ask whether this is part of a normal formula or whether this is you playing with it a little bit, 
we have a situation where we have a character that has alcohol dependency and another that has some mental health issues. Are those normally in uh, a rom-com, or is this you playing a little bit with the with the parameters? I think you'll find those uh, sort of deeper psychological elements in most romances. They're, it's just a matter of how much you go into depth and how much you let it affect their behavior in the present day. So I chose to, you know, let those elements really impact Luke's motivations for why he was resistant to love and why he felt such a sense of responsibility to his family. So I, I definitely went more in depth than I have even in my last rom-com. Uh-huh. Um, but there's usually that sort of underlying psychological drive in, in pretty much every book, but definitely in romance too. Okay. Sorry. So this is your second su- such novel. What is the intended audience for romance novels? Ooh, that's a great question too. You know, we, as writers, try to target you know, we try to write for the people we think will read it. We try to write for our audience. And so for me, I am always conscious of what kind of like pop culture references I'm making and what kind of things I'm bringing from the present day into the book so that I can say, okay, this will make the most sense to people between, you know, this generation, right? The Gen Z or millennial crossover. But romance in general definitely has a much wider audience. Everything from, you know, late YA or late teenagers all the way, you know, all the way. So yeah. I, I personally live in that sort of millennial Gen Z, you know, even above millennial space. But I think it comes down to what references you're making in the romance and who it would make the most sense to. Okay. All right. Well, you did get a plug from the baseball star Bryce Harper the other day. I don't know if you are familiar with that, but Harper, who's got... Oh, my be... gosh. What? Well, all right. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. Well, not you personally, but romance novels. Bryce Harper was being interviewed. Uh, he's a tremendous baseball player. And said, "Yeah, that's that's all he reads. He reads romance novels, and and you know it's his great way of relaxing. And and uh, so yeah, the the genre got a plug from a, a very highly uh, rated baseball player. All right, well let He's me. He's a hero let, now, hero. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: Can I get you to read perhaps a section so people get a sense of a little bit about Cassidy and Luke, or and a little bit about the book?" Yes, I would love to. Um, okay. I'm going to read a scene uh, after they've been. Their plane has been grounded. They mm-hmm. are trying to escape the airport, and there is only one rental car left. And our hero, Luke, has <laughs> offered Cassidy a ride, and she is suspicious but open-minded because she needs to get out of there. So that's right. where this snippet okay. falls. Okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she's just FaceTimed her friend. Who is this person exactly? Luke whispers as if iPhones can't pick up frantic, spluttering huffs. My roommate, Berkeley, is going to help me validate your identity. I extend an open hand. License, please. Luke deposits it on my palm and watches me intently, as if afraid I might pocket the thing and make a run for it if he blinks. I peek up at his caramelly blonde coif and then back at the license. 6'2", blonde hair, hazel eyes, organ donor. He doesn't flinch at my once-over, even when it segues into a twice-over. Is this roommate of yours going to blast my name and address across the internet, he asks. I stroke my chin and pretend to consider this. Not if I'm delivered to California in one piece. What's this I'm hearing? Berkeley asks as she switches on a light. Her illuminated face fills the iPhone screen. Delivering you? The airline has stranded us in Missouri and left us to languish in obscurity, and I met a guy who can drive me back to California. But in the off chance, he has mafia ties and tries to disappear me. What? I'm not in the mafia, Luke blusters. I spare him a look. That's exactly what someone in the mafia would say. I turn back to my phone. 
I want you to have his full identity and know the sound of his voice, all that good stuff, so you can identify him if needed. Berkeley morphs into a human emoji, the one with hyphen slips for eyes. Who is this man? And more importantly, why is this man offering you a ride? <laughs> I swivel to get Luke in frame. He was hiding directly behind the phone before and position myself as if we're about to take a photo together. He looks like he'd rather witness his own execution than endure even a second of shared scream time, but I persist. He scored the last rental card and is taking pity on my poor soul. Luke rakes his hands through his hair twice, wilting under Berkeley's scrutinous stare. Hi, I'm Luke. He clears his throat. Carlisle, Luke Carlisle. I work at De Leon Consultants if you want to Google me. You know, I'm a really normal, boring dude. Also what someone in the mafia would say, but I don't speak it aloud for the sake of moving this thing along. Greetings, Berkeley chirps. Why are you trying to lure my roommate into your car, Luke? What's your end game? Uh, I, I don't have an end game. I just have a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, so let me ask you this. When you were writing Planes and Trains, or, or starting to write Planes and Trains, I should say, do you start with an outline? Or do you start with a character idea? What's your, how do you normally do that? It's a little bit of both. Um, I always am very character motivated, so I see characters first. Okay. And then from there, I'm definitely conscious of the plot, too, making sure it's engaging. But it's, it always starts for me with two people. And it, um, for this one in particular, it started with the heroine, Cassidy. Uh -huh. I just saw her so vividly, and I, I sort of built a man <laughs> to, go, <laughs> to go with her personality to bounce off of it. <laughs> All right. So when I interview authors, they will quite often tell me that they live with their characters for a period of time, you know keep the notepad by the bed, whatever, and think of things that they would say or not say. Is that, is that how your writing style goes as well? You create Cassidy in your mind or Luke, and then you kind of live with them during the process, writing process? Oh, yes. It's a very uh, codependent relationship. I will wake up in the middle of the night and roll over and write something down, and mm -hmm. uh, my husband thinks I'm not well during this period of time. He's like, are you gonna, are you gonna be okay? But yes, I, you definitely get immersed in their world, and you see little things in your environment that Sparker, oh, I need to add this to this part of the book. And it's definitely, it's like adding ingredients the whole time until you have that final, final product. Well, and writers will also tell me that if they create a good character, and I'm curious if, the, if you found this to be true with Cassidy and Luke, the characters actually help write the story. I know that sounds crazy to some people that don't write, but have you had that experience? Yes, having, uh, especially when your, you know, characters have sort of archetype personalities, like a sunshine character, as we call them. Cassidy mm -hmm. is very bright, bubbly, and willing to do things that drive the plot. So, you know, sometimes you're writing a shy character, and you have to make it believable that a shy person would go and approach a stranger. But with someone like Cassidy, who is outgoing, and that's her personality, it kind of does the writer a favor. So you want to choose those characters to do your work for you, which makes it fun and easier. Well, in fact, I actually had a writer in the studio one time say that uh, on occasion he'll be writing something and the character will say, uh -uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Have <laughs> you thought of ideas and then kind of almost as if you were the character, dismiss them? Yes, definitely. And I, you know, you, you sort of hear the voices of your readers saying, I don't buy that. Uh -huh, okay. <laughs> so it becomes a nice little... A little checkpoint for yourself as, as you're going. Well, and let's, let's again, back to the novel then. The voices of these two characters are, are unique, at least to me, um, as a 65-year-old guy. What are you drawing on to create these voices and personalities? Uh, or, is it, or is this a situation where, uh, as a lot of writers will say, each character is a bit a part of them, or are you creating this out of somebody else you know, or, or what? Um, I think in, the, in this particular book, I used a lot of my own experience, especially with Luke's family and some of the heavier elements. I really wanted it 
I wanted to honor those things. So I was careful to choose things that I could really speak to. Mm-hmm. But in terms of their personalities, um, I think we're all very influenced by the world around us. And, you know, we mentioned I'm a dyslexia specialist at school and I, I just I'm around people and personalities all day. So I think that's actually a huge help to the writing process. Um, because if, you know, you're alone all the, t- all the time and you're not necessarily in interacting with people, you kind of maybe don't have that exposure, but I'm seeing these kids and teenagers and teachers and everybody all day, every day. And so you pull little pieces, uh, from, from interacting with people. So that makes it fun too. Well, and Cassidy to me, again, seems like she's very dramatic. Is that going back to something you said earlier? Is that a generational thing? I think so. I think, uh, I think it's a generational thing. Her language is very dramatic. Um, and that's a little bit of me. And, you know, because I am a writer, I am a writer because I am that way. Uh-huh. So there's definitely pieces of me in that and sort of tying it to her over her journey of feeling like nothing she ever does is going to be good enough for her mom anyway. Yeah, so she yeah. might as well just be completely herself. And so it's a little bit of a rebellion too. Yeah. I, I found her to be a little anxiety, a little bit anxiety ridden. She's an adorable character, but I found her to be a little bit anxiety-ridden and a little bit overly dramatic. But from what you said earlier, that that fits neatly into the generational issues, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you scroll TikTok, I think you can find that there's a sort of (laughs) accepting that mental health is now at the forefront of the conversation. So people are like proudly claiming I'm anxious and here I am and I'm not going to hide that. And so I think she speaks a little bit to that slightly, you know, newer acceptance of being completely yourself and not sort of hiding those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it comes across as refreshing. All right, so there is tension, though, and this may go back to the formula at the outset between Cassidy and Luke, right? And so if you didn't know anything about romance novels, you would say, these, you know, they're going to meet in the parking lot, and that's going to be the end of it. And in, in <laughs> writing the characters, and I should mention for the listeners, that's where they first meet, in writing the characters... Does that tension give you a, a vehicle for developing the characters further? Definitely. Uh, it, it gives you the vehicle to make it the book. Like you said, if it was just two people meeting in a parking lot and they, you know, they instantly hit it off, there wouldn't be that tension that to work with. And so it gives you a sort of, it gives you a crescendo to build on. Like there's going to be tension in the beginning. That's usually pretty extreme. Um, and then from there it has to get, more nuanced and more intense so that you don't stay stagnant. So luckily in writing a road trip book, they are like literally in motion. Uh So, you know, you're able to use that as the plot vehicle, but in some books when you're not, you know, in motion or not traveling or not on some sort of specific plot journey, we call those slice of life books. You know, if you're just trying to keep tension alive in your day-to-day life, that's going to look very different, but there has to be that. Why can't they be together right now? And you have to be able to constantly, as the reader, say, oh, well, they could be together, but there's this obstacle in the way. Otherwise, you don't have any any more book left to discover. Yeah. It struck me, though, that as a writer myself, that it helps develop their character. In other words, I learned more about Cassidy and more about Luke because of the tension between them. And that's intentional, Right. right? Yes. Their resistance shows what they believe about themselves and what they believe about the world. So in Cassidy believing that she's too much for someone to then right. have mm-hmm. to be stuck with someone who acts like everything is too much for him. Right. Uh, it, it forces her to address those things within herself. And for Luke, who believes he can't possibly handle anything else because he's so burdened by this need to take care of his family, having someone who kind of distracts him 
forces him to address like how necessary it is that he would put his whole life on hold to take care of someone who may not even appreciate him the way that you would like to see, you know? And so it, it does bring out their characters, that tension. Okay. Well, let me, let me come at this from a different angle from you, about you as the author. You know, novelists will often tell me that if they create good characters and then they place them in situations where they have to work through certain issues that they confront, that they, as the writer, will learn something about themselves. That, has that been your experience, and, and in particular in writing this book? Definitely. Um, I, I, you, as an adult, I think you sort of believe that you've overcome any childhood issues. You've overcome any you know, barriers to, to become the person you are in the moment. But in writing this book, I, I felt like both of their individual struggles so acutely, it kind of helped me to see like, they, there are pieces of me in there, and they aren't necessarily resolved. And I do believe these things about myself in the world to be true that may be hindering my ability to love as well as I could. So, mm-hmm. you know, especially with Cassidy being that big personality, I still as a person with a big personality, find myself feeling like too much in a given space or a given conversation. And I have to remind myself that doesn't mean I'm not worthy of, you know, love or whatever the case might be. So it sticks with you. Yeah. All right. So let me end with this one. You know, sometimes writers will tell me, um, and I've interviewed Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, and I'll say, you know, why do you write? And they'll say, um, you know, I'm trying to make a political point or a social point or um, I write just for myself. And a few of them will say I write for the money. Why do, you, why do you write, Livy? What is it about writing that um, you can't live without? Uh, I would say I write because it's a compulsion, and it's my way of I, I can't not write because I see stories all the time for my whole life. Uh-huh. But I write romance specifically because I feel like it's a genre that speaks to joy. Um, and it can also, you know, speak to pain and, and all these other human experiences. But we try to keep joy and hope at the forefront and, you know, we can't control anything that happens in the world. But for me, when I can sit down and immerse myself in something that I know will end well and I know will have humor and levity, I, I feel that's where my peace comes. And there's, I assume there's a comfort in that, not only for you as the writer, but for the, for the reader. Yes, I think romance is a huge comfort. And I think we saw, you know, during the pandemic, a huge spike in romance because it was a safe haven for people. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, that brings me back to Bryce Harper. I think that's pretty much what he said when he was interviewed about him, uh, about reading him. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum and my interview with author Libby Hart about her new book, Planes, Trains, and All the Feel. I encourage you to pick it up. It's available, I know, on Amazon and probably on other sites. Libby, is there a website or other social media that folks can go to in order to learn more about you and about your books. Yeah, absolutely. I'm at livyheart.com and all of my handles are Livy Hart Romance. And Hart is H-A-R-T, right? Yes, H-A-R-T. Okay. All right, Livy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. 